We recognize our geographic location in Canada and that we can't possibly participate and partner with God in ushering in the kingdom without engaging in Indigenous reconciliation. Well, hello and welcome to another episode of the Canadian Church Leaders Podcast. It's Jason here, and today we've got Melissa Ewing joining us. Melissa is the lead pastor of Redwood Park Church in Thunder Bay, Ontario. After serving on the staff of 10th Avenue Church here in Vancouver with Ken Shigematsu, Melissa and her whole family moved across Canada to Thunder Bay. And I think anyone listening to the podcast for a number of episodes knows that we deeply love Canada. And we believe that God has a unique call in our time for this place. And I love that there's a uniquely Canadian conversation to be had. There's certain themes and elements of our culture that resonate from sea to sea. And Canada presents unique ministry opportunities because of our history and our culture. But to know Canada and to minister in Canada is also to know that each region of our nation is very unique. You know, ministering in downtown Vancouver and Grand Manan, New Brunswick, while they might have some similarities, there's also unique opportunities and challenges presented in each place. And today's conversation sheds a light on national themes, stuff that we're all in need to explore and engage, but also speaks to a unique ministry opportunity in Thunder Bay and the surrounding area. In fact, the window into some of the national conversations comes through the unique ministry opportunity in that place. And Melissa's own story is a beautiful picture of God calling someone for a specific time to a specific place. And I love chatting with Melissa, and I'm thrilled to share the conversation with you today. Hey, one note before we jump in. At the end of the conversation, I asked Melissa to pray for Thunder Bay so we could all join with her. And as a CCLN community, we're going to start a new rhythm together. Every month, I want to invite all of us together to pray for a specific Canadian community. For example, last month, we focused on Winnipeg, and this month, we're going to be praying together for Thunder Bay. And what a powerful thought that there would be hundreds of pastors and leaders across Canada praying for God to move in Thunder Bay this month, that God would bless and move through the churches in that region, that he would bring his kingdom in power in that place. And so I love this conversation, and I love the chance to pray with her at the end. Okay, let's jump in to today's episode. Well, Melissa... I am very excited to be with you today. I've been looking forward to this conversation for a while. And I just would love, uh, if you're up for it, just to share a bit about your story of coming into ministry. And eventually I want to get to the work you're doing in Thunder Bay, but there's a real journey that takes us there. And so, yeah, tell us a bit about yourself. Yeah, I haven't been a pastor my whole life. I actually started out as an elementary school teacher. I actually grew up, I grew up in the Catholic church, so I kind of had this head knowledge. Yeah. Uh, and if somebody said, do you believe in God? Do you believe in Jesus? Yeah, I would have said yes, but it yeah. didn't translate into my life. Uh, we stopped going to church when I was a teenager, so not really a part of my story at all. But uh, when I went to university, I actually went to study art, fine arts. Did you study, were you in UB, at UBC? Uh, in Kamloops, actually. Oh, cool. Yeah, yeah, in Kamloops. There was an art program there. And uh, there's a guy in my program who's a Christian. And in art school, you have to present your pieces, and you have to have an artist statement, and then you get critiqued on it every single week. Hmm. Um, and so every week, he would present his pieces, and it was really good art. But 
they always had themes around grace and God's love and whatnot, but it wasn't like cheesy Christian art. It was good art. And so week after <laughs> that week, helps. He was, it helps yeah, when it's not right? cheesy. Yeah. <laughs> it's good art, right? Like it's good stuff. So week after week, he's essentially preaching the gospel <laughs> through wow. his art. And, uh, and so we kind of got chatting and he invited me to the campus ministry and long story short, the thing that drew me after the art was this group of people that seemed to really like each other, but they had mm. nothing in common. Mm. You had like, you know, the athletes and the academics and the the cool and not cool people, or what I thought of as cool and yeah. uncool, uh, all hanging out together. And eventually, of course, it clicked that what bonded them together was Jesus. Mm. And they seemed to have an interest in me as a person yeah. um, rather than what I could bring to the table um, wow. in a transactional relationship. And so eventually I ended up accepting Christ for myself through that mm. um, and uh, took a couple years for that to stick. <laughs> yeah. And uh, I was attending a church in the neighborhood because I could walk there. My parents uh, thought that, well, I remember my dad saying, if you joined a cult, um, they wouldn't give me their car to drive to church. So I'm like, did okay, you grow so up in Kamloops? Uh, I lived in Kamloops for my teenage years. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, uh, so went to, went to this church and the pastor of the church took me out for coffee one day and, uh, Ken Nettleton, who is now a pastor in Victoria. And, uh, Ken said, um, something along the lines of, if you stay in Kamloops, the pull of your friends is too great. Hmm. Um, so I'm going to have a chat with you as if I was your dad. And I know you've got hmm. a good relationship with your parents, um, but right now they're not Christ followers. So I'm going to, I can't coach your dad to have this conversation with you. So I'm going to have this conversation with you. Your friends are too hmm. big of a pole. You need to move. You need hmm. to go do something else. Here's this Christian discipleship program. You need a pastoral reference. Here's the application and here's my reference. You should go. Hmm. Uh, so I applied, not really thinking I would actually go. And then I got in hmm. and um, I didn't actually decide to go until a week before the school started. Wow. So like a week before um, the semester starts, I announced to my family, I'm living in Kansas at the time. I'm moving to Calgary. I'm going to Bible college. <laughs> Goodbye. <laughs> and I hitched a ride with a friend with a couple boxes and they dropped me off at the campus um, and my husband, Jay was there and he was on the student council and I did not go to meet a husband, <laughs> but, uh, he was helping the new students move in and, uh, we met, uh, and as I fell in love with Jesus, I also fell in love with Jay and, uh, we got married a year later. Hmm. So it could have been a disaster. <laughs> I don't recommend that you get married when you're a brand new Christian a year later, um, but it was great. It was in God's grace that uh, he brought mm. us together. Um, and at that time, uh, Jay was studying to be a youth pastor. Mm. And so I knew that God was calling me into ministry as Jay's wife. We really were embracing this whole family call into mm. ministry. And um, from that point onward, when I look back in retrospect, there are many, many moments where God was inviting me to step in vocationally, career-wise, mm. as a pastor myself. I just totally missed it. Yeah. You know, and I could I could say um, 
you know, I could, there's lots of reasons why I probably missed it. I think it's maybe there, I didn't see women in those roles. So it didn't seem like a real option for me. Um, I also thought to myself, we already have one pastor in the family. We don't need two. <laughs> uh, I also saw my husband, Jay, he's like the shepherdiest shepherd you'll ever meet. He is yeah. so pastoral and compassionate. He's also a trained spiritual director. So he just has oh. this way of connecting with people relationally and making them feel welcomed and mm. safe and, and open to conversation. I don't have those same gifts. And mm. so in my mind, I'm thinking that's what it is to be a pastor. <laughs> yeah. I, I don't think, I don't think I got it. Um, I really appreciate you sharing that, Melissa. Yeah. Cause I think I just finished reading. I, I shared with you earlier, like the more recent biography of Eugene Peterson. And I feel deeply called to be a pastor. Like this is, I, I feel like it's my vocational identity. It's not my identity identity, but it's like, it's, it's, it's not just a job. Mm -hmm. It's like, it's a calling. And yet when I read the pastor, I feel on one hand, or not the pastor, sorry, about Eugene Peterson. He had his other book, The Pastor, but this new one's called, mm -hmm. I think, A Burning in My Bones or something. I go like, I love the effect it has on me. But then there's another part of me that goes, I'm not that shepherd mystic sit and read for four hours. Like yeah. that's just not how I'm wired. And so when I hear you describe that, I go, that's, that's, I experienced a lot of that of being like, maybe I don't fit this role of a pastor. And I just wonder like, we'll go right, we'll put a pin in the story, but like, how have you processed just some of those reflections on like making sense of that vocational calling that comes with different gifts and strength, especially as you look at your shepherdy husband? Yeah. Yeah. Well, one of the things that was always it's so clear to me now in retrospect, like I can, mm. I can see it. And I wish that I, here's another thing. I wish I had a mentor who could have seen these things and mm. kind of help point out what was happening in my life. Mm. Uh, but I didn't. Uh, so um, Jay, who was fully aware of this shepherding gift in himself, um, would always say, I have no desire to be a lead pastor. And mm. he would have the occasion, you know, he would preach once in a while. He was a youth pastor for a while, associate pastor where he kind of did all things <laughs> in the church uh, for a while. And he can preach and he can teach, but he doesn't have this drive to do it. Mm. And I would be in the background. Like when he was studying at Regent, I'd be like editing his papers. I'm so excited about reading the books and I'm so excited about um, all the study Uh and then when he was preaching his sermons behind the scenes, I'm like, oh, you should do this and you should do that. I was so excited about it. And when he'd be like, I don't really like preaching. In my mind, I'm like, how could you not? Like, it mm. seems like the best thing in the world. And so I was projecting my calling onto him. He has mm. the wisdom to know that that wasn't his calling, <laughs> but I just didn't get it. Like, why wouldn't you want to do this? Um, what I didn't see is that was this desire in me mm. to read the word and turn around and teach it. Um, I became an elementary school teacher mm. uh, because I had that impulse to teach. Um, and I also thought if my husband's going to be a youth pastor, then we need a stable career. Someone has to pay the bills <laughs> around here. <laughs> exactly. We're going to need a pension and all that yeah, stuff, benefits. Yeah. You know, who knows what church he'll end up at. So, Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for sharing that. Okay, so take us back in the story. So you, you meet Jay, you're, you're um, at college, get married, and then you go into teaching. Yeah, yeah. I become a teacher. I love it. 
I, I uh, taught ki- mostly kindergarten and grade one. Took time off for a while when we had our kids. Um, worked part time, um, and all along I'd been kind of involved in different parachurch ministries. So I'm kind of dabbling in mm. ministry, like paid ministry, I should say. Um, but uh, never stepping in. Like it did not enter my mind. You are a pastor. Ever mm. did not cross mm. my mind ever. Um, and so uh, at one point, um, we found ourselves in Vancouver. So um, my husband, Jay, started working at 10th Church in Vancouver. And he was a site pastor. And um, 10th needed a family pastor. And Ken Shigematsu, who's the lead pastor, would tell his version of the story. His version of the story is they were looking for a family pastor. And one day in the service, he looks over and he sees me sitting there. And he senses this prompting, like, you should talk to Melissa. Wow. Um, and so um, he and the executive pastor, Sam Rima, who's also a good friend of ours, um, they approached me and they asked if I consider putting my name in. And my first thought is like, heck no. <laughs> like, I would not approach that job with a million foot pole. Like, that's, I, I, I don't want to do it. I, I don't think it's for me. Um, but I just had this, like, sense that I should pursue this and I should pray about it. Mm-hmm. And the more I prayed about it, the more I felt like God was inviting me to step in. And so I decided I would take the job. But in my mind, I'm thinking, I'm giving them one year. And mm-hmm. I went on leave from the school board. I didn't quit. I just took a leave, got permission to go and do this other job for a while. And uh, so I'm still employed by the school board. So I got one foot in and one foot out. And um, about a year, actually less than a year. Well, six months in, Ken invited me to preach. Mm-hmm. And he has since told me that um, that was a bit of a risk because he didn't know if I could preach or not. <laughs> but kind of thought, well, I mean, she can teach kids. So, you know, maybe. And uh, I was pretty terrified. Um, I was feeling pretty ill-equipped. It's a bigger church. So mm-hmm. it's a big church to preach your very first sermon And Ken, Ken is a world-class communicator so it's not just, yeah, yeah, I feel that pressure. Yeah. 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 And, you know, when he invites people into the pulpit, there's great preachers, right? Like we've, yeah. been, we've been in this church surrounded by wonderful people. Um, and so uh, I, I said yes <laughs> because I did have it in the back of my mind yeah. that I prayed this secret prayer at one point. God, I would love to preach a sermon at one point mm-hmm. because it seems like such a cool thing to do. Uh, yeah. Like an amazing privilege. And so I said yes. And um, that very first time I I was going to preach, the night before, I was terrified. Like I couldn't Mm. sleep. I was lying in my bed. There was a car alarm going off. My kids are crying. You know, they were littler then. Um, I'm like praying, God, just give me sleep. Like I got to preach this message tomorrow. And I'm terrified. And all of a sudden, like the presence of God filled our room. I just sensed his presence there and sensed God's love Mm. in this profound, deep way that I had not experienced before. And I just, what, what popped in my head is like, God loves me. And I could get up there and just say, he loves you more than you could ever know. And that's all I need to say. Mm. Um, That's all I need to do. Jesus loves you. The end. Uh, Because I was just feeling it so much. And um, 
you know that song, um, You Make Me Brave? Yeah. And his love in wave after wave crashes yeah. over me. So that verse pops into my head and then I go to sleep. Like wow, just what a sweet moment with the Lord. Peace. Got up the next morning, felt confident, felt nervous, but yeah. not like I'm going to have an anxiety attack nervous, <laughs> which is how I was feeling the day before. Uh, and when I got up there, I just... As soon as I started delivering the material I prepared, I actually stuck to my sermon that I prepared. I just felt that I was doing what I was supposed to be doing. Hmm. Like, like it was just, it just clicked. Um, this is what I made you to do. And I've just felt, felt the pleasure of the Lord wow. <laughs> in that. Um, and so I... Uh, Walked away feeling like, okay, there's something here. And then the next day, God's presence was back again mm. uh, when I woke up the next morning. So I know like oftentimes on Monday morning, I don't know how you feel, but sometimes you're like totally drained. Horrible. Right? I feel horrible. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I go home on Sunday afternoons and I need to have a nap. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I was pumped. Mm. Like the next morning, Monday morning, I woke up and I felt the presence of God even more strongly than I did the night mm. before. And I just sensed him saying like, well done. Mm. I asked you to do something scary and you did it. And uh, so that was my, that was my first experience of preaching. Um, mm. And uh, I am so grateful because of course we know that's not always what preaching feels like. In yes. fact, most of the time, it doesn't feel no, like that. most of the time, it doesn't. It feels like the car alarm's <laughs> going off and you don't fall back asleep. Yeah. And you regret. Yeah. yeah. No, that's so special. I love hearing that. I just, and I just, I just, I just think it's so kind of the Holy Spirit to oh, it's reveal just himself such a, that way. Such a blessing. And then I think I had a, I had a second profound experience with preaching, actually. Hmm. Can you tell about, me about that? Uh, yeah, about two, I don't know, two years later or so, um, I was having a conflict with somebody and, you know, pastors know there's always conflict in the church. Like it's just, mm -hmm. it's, there's always conflict in the world, right? Um, and I was feeling the temptation to fight back. Mm. I felt kind of backed into a corner in this particular conflict. Um and those who had known me from my past know that I'm like a, I, I was a classic conflict avoider. Mm. <laughs> and so I'm like, God, I just, I don't even know what to do. I either want to run away from this or I want to like fight back. Uh, but I know I'm not supposed to. And so I'm praying about this. And again, I'm in my room, it's at night. <laughs> and all of a sudden I heard a voice, like an audible mm. voice. It's only happened once. <laughs> this mm. like deep resonant in my bones voice that said preach like mm. a command preach and then i sensed like a hand over my mouth like i couldn't speak like a heavy darkness so it's just like spiritual yeah. dark presence um and so i managed to finally speak and say the name jesus and that hand and the darkness fled i'm like what just happened <laughs> So I'm thinking like, I imagine this, like, you know, that weird dream yeah. state before you're falling asleep. I'm thinking like, I'm having this weird dream, but now I'm wide awake. So yeah. I'm like, God, did I just hear your voice? 
And then I heard it again a second time, preach. Wow. And then the hand on my mouth again. And, uh, but this time I was able to say the name Jesus again. Mm. And so this time my prayer was like, okay, God, I believe you're here, but I feel like the enemy is here too. What I'm so like, what is, I don't understand what's happening. And then God said, but this time it wasn't audible, but it was very still clear words. The words I'm putting in your mouth are a sharp weapon against the enemy. Hmm. So weird. (laughs) So out there. And this is like, this is like I told mentioned my background growing up is Catholic. I didn't grow up in a charismatic mm-hmm. tradition. Um, this is out of the realm of my own walk with God, except for that profound experience of sensing his love the first time I preached. Mm. So at that point, I'm like, I can't handle this. I don't even know what that means. God, help me to go to sleep. So again, Holy Spirit comes, whoosh, peace, and I'm asleep. Like, yeah, went to sleep. Beautiful. It was it was fine. The next morning, Jay is like, I had the most peaceful sleep last night. I'm like, it's because the Holy Spirit was <laughs> in our room. <laughs> yeah. And so um between those two experiences, I I of course have journaled about it, I prayed about it, I have a spiritual director, I've processed it with with some mentors over the years. I've come to believe that God was very, very clear with me in that calling. Mm-hmm. because I was so reluctant to step into what he was calling me to do. Hmm. Um, and I didn't see female mentors doing what he was calling me to do. Uh, I think it's just in God's grace and mm. provision um, and mercy <laughs> that he needed to make sure I got it. Yeah. So it was around that time where I started to really prayerfully discern, okay, if God is calling me to preach— um, I should probably start thinking about a role where I get to preach. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it mm-hmm. became a long discernment process that ended bringing us to Thunder Bay. Hmm. Tell us about that step in the journey. I mean, you moved your family, you've got um, preteen and teenage kids, and mm-hmm. you guys move across the country to Thunder Bay. Tell us about that journey and and also tell us what brought you to Thunder Bay? Because there's a unique ministry calling on this church, on Redwoods. And I just would love to hear more about the church and what kind of pulled your heart as a family towards that. Yeah. So um, Thunder Bay had been on my radar, um, but not because I wanted to come here and do ministry and felt called here. Um, So my heritage, I'm mixed heritage. I'm First Nation and Caucasian. So my dad's side, um, we're from the Namgis Nation, the Kwakwakwak people on Vancouver Island. Hmm. And on my mom's side, um, uh, European heritage. And so um, Indigenous people know about Thunder Bay hmm. <laughs> because uh, we're in northwestern Ontario and we are the geographic hub for all of the Northwestern Ontario reserves and indigenous mm. communities. Uh, a lot of the communities don't have um, high schools. So kids come here for high school. Mm. Um, a lot of the communities don't have hospitals. So this is the healthcare center. Um, so it's the education and the healthcare center. Um, but uh, Thunder Bay, I believe this past year, 
has the notorious distinction, again, per capita of being the murder capital of Canada. Wow. <laughs> um, uh, for Indigenous people, um, like when I told my dad that we were considering Thunder Bay, his response was, why would you go to the place that is considered mm. one of the most racist places in Canada? And I say this having lived here for a year and a half and, and, and loving the city. Yeah. Um, but uh, Thunder Bay has two sides for, for uh, um, it's a great place to live and raise your kids and raise your family. But for indigenous people, it, it isn't such a great place. Hmm. It is. And it isn't, I should say. Yeah. <laughs> Mm. So, um, so I knew about Thunder Bay before I came because I would read these stories about um, no clean drinking water in the northern reserves um, or the suicide rates among mm. youth and children uh, or about um, the murder rate, for example. Uh, and, um, you know, praying about this place. When I would pray for Indigenous people in Canada... Uh, I found myself praying for Thunder Bay. So even in retrospect, as I'm saying this, I'm like, oh yeah, there was probably like God had me praying for this place before he brought us here. There was probably mm. something, something to that. But of course I didn't know about it. So we're at Redwood Park Church and uh, uh, the church had an opening for a lead pastor. And um, I didn't know about the opening, Um Jay and I were at the point where we were starting to look at um, look at and apply for different churches. Um, we were finding that in order for me to be in a role where I could use my gifts and for Jay to use his gifts as the shepherd, we began applying for jobs as co-lead pastors hmm. uh, because most churches, even if they said we're affirming of women in ministry, yeah. uh, it was a barrier still to think about having the wife of the pastor couple being the primary communicator and the one to be at the board meetings and whatnot, which I also love doing. <laughs> uh, so uh, um, we applied for a couple of places and, and it became clear that they hoped that Jay would be the communicator and the primary leader and I would be the shepherd. But we knew that that wasn't what God had for us. Yeah. Uh, and it wasn't honoring our gifts. And we also knew it would be like the fastest road to burnout <laughs> for both of us. Operating in the opposite of your gifting is exactly beeline to burnout. <laughs> totally, totally. So um, a friend of ours named Nathan, who's at a, at a uh, Nathan Westlake, who's at a, a Prairie Alliance church in Portage La Prairie in Manitoba. He was also acting kind of as an interim part-time lead here. Hmm. And um, he was working with the board and said, you know what? I actually think I know the perfect couple that would be a fit for this church. It's Jay and Melissa. Um, and I see Melissa in the lead role. And I think that what this church needs is for you to create a role for Jay because the church is in need of a shepherd. Hmm. Um, and uh, he worked his magic with the board. <laughs> and then he had to work his magic with us. Because when he first contacted us, we were like, we're not moving to Ontario. We love BC. This is our home. Mm -hmm. But again, just had this sense that we should probably pray about this. There's there's mm -hmm. just enough there um, that got us questioning 
whether or not God was calling us into this bold move. So we invited our daughters to pray as well. Um, the church flew us out here. We were here for four days. And um, <laughs> sounds cliche, but it really felt like a match made in heaven. Hmm. <laughs> like it just. So um, good. Yeah. We, I, we sensed that who God made us to be was exactly what Redwood needed. And who God made Redwood to be at that time was exactly what we needed to be able to live into our calling as well. So it came together really, really well. And I think one of the big pieces is Redwood is a church that recognizes, we we recognize our geographic location in Mm. Canada uh, and that we can't possibly participate and partner with God in ushering in the kingdom without engaging in indigenous reconciliation. And had the church already been moving towards that? I mean, just thinking about the board as they're in this discernment process, has had that already been on their heart and they've been to process, what does this mean for us as a church? Or is that something that almost came with you into it? Yeah, I mean, the church was already leaning into it. Hmm. Um, yeah, if I could, I think probably the church, I think like probably many churches in Canada, um, and including in myself, wanted to lean into it and was starting to make inroads. I think Redwood hosted a Indigenous Ministries conference uh, like four or five years ago. It had some great guests come. Cheryl Bear and Ray Aldred came for that. Um, and But it was, like in many churches, kind of a side ministry. Mm-hmm. Um but the church was sensing that this needs to become part of our core mission uh, as a church. Um, and we do have indigenous folks in the congregation, but it's a primarily Caucasian congregation. Mm. And so this primarily Caucasian congregation uh, goes ahead and hires a female indigenous lead pastor who's never been a lead pastor before. <laughs> so they were taking some bold steps too. Yeah, I love that. <laughs> yeah. And how did the girls discern it with you guys? You know, I just think I care so much about children of pastors and it sounds, I just, mm-hmm. you guys are discerning this as a, as a family, maybe two questions. Like how did they, you know, as you, as you're inviting them to pray when they went and visited how they feel and, and then how's the move been like moving in COVID and I just love to hear how that journey yeah. has been for the fam. Yeah. Well, they, um, it was tough. Yeah. <laughs> like, it, it's true. It's it's truthful. Uh, it, it was a rough transition. I can say that. And I actually asked them. I told them that I was going to be chatting with you today. Mm-hmm. And I said, you know, it might actually come up. Like, how do we discern to move as a family? Girls, can I talk about this? And they were like, mm-hmm. yeah, you can talk about it. Um, yeah, we began um, a practice of listening together as a family in Vancouver. Um so we would, on a regular basis, just gather up in the living room and we talked about how we think God is leading us to something new, but we don't know what yet. But we believe that he has something for all of us, wherever he's calling us to. And so um, Jay, who's so good at doing stuff like this, you know, he'd lead us all as a family into silence. He'd set timer and we would listen. He's a spirit director. Uh, did, he, did he light a candle as well? Yeah, he lit a candle. <laughs> he, he totally would. He'd light a candle. That's so good. He, he'd lead us into silence and listening. Uh, the girls would have their journals. 
out to sketchbooks if they needed or whatever. Yeah. And and then we would just say, do you sense God saying anything to you? Like nothing. It, it could just be your own mind, but whatever came to mind, let's just yeah. talk about it and see if there's any like resonance here. And, um, you know, they, they acted like they were on board. And then when we, when the church flew us to Thunder Bay, this is what I, this is one of the things where we were like, this is a church that we want to pay attention to because they flew our whole family here, including mm. our daughters, recognizing that this is a big move for our kids. And so, um, of course they were wooing us. Mm-hmm. So, you took, know, it, took you our, nice spots. Yeah, nice one dinner. of our board members took us out on his boat and water skiing and yeah. went over to another board Thunder member's house amazing. and she had a pool <laughs> in the backyard and, you know, all that stuff. Uh, but, uh, but at the end of the weekend, our oldest daughter said, I don't want to tell you what I'm thinking because I know what mm. it means. Mm. But I think there's probably a pretty good chance that God is calling us here. I don't want to tell mm. you because it means that we're probably moving. Right. But I think this is what God is saying. Hmm. And uh, we all kind of looked at each other and said, we're all sensing the same thing too. And none of us actually want to admit it, right? Because it's a big move. It's a new place. We've never been here before. <laughs> uh, um, I had a little bit of fear around what I knew about Thunder Bay, the, the reputation that I that I knew about. Um, but, uh, but we all sensed that God was leading us here. So... Hmm. Yeah. And when we got here, um, of course, we get here, they go to school for a couple of months. And then in Ontario, the kids in Ontario went online for half a year. So they didn't know anybody here. They had no friends, um, totally online. In retrospect now, I was chatting with my girls the other day. And um, they're actually at a cool place where they can say, you know what, that sucked because especially my daughter, who's an extrovert, she was like, that did suck. I needed people beyond you guys. Yeah. But um, we we grew closer as a family together for sure. Mm. Um, and it was a new adventure. Like we did cool things that we never had done before. Like we went ice skating on Lake Superior and we learned mm-hmm. how to cross country ski and we embraced the campfire culture here. Yeah. And yeah. Hmm. You know, the stuff that we loved to do when we were on holidays in Vancouver, yeah, uh, when we went camping, are now just part of our everyday life. Part so, of the backyard. Hmm. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I appreciate that and just bless them so much, you know, um, just as they, um, so many, all across Canada, there's pastors, kids that are carrying the weight and spouses and all that, like, mm-hmm. but carrying the weight um, so their mom or dad can say yes to the call of God. Yeah. And then it is a call on the whole family too. And it's just beautiful. I love that window into you guys discerning together. I appreciate you taking the time to share and you can thank them for saying yes to letting you yeah. share about it. I'm, I think that's <laughs> awesome. Um, tell us a bit, just even as, if I could, if we go back to, as, you, as you're working about what can Redwoods do? Redwoods, the church, the organization, but even the people of Redwoods mm-hmm. that I hear you saying are primarily non-Indigenous while there's many Indigenous people, part of the community. How are you guys beginning to just un- unpack what that looks like to move towards the needs to move towards love and justice um, with all of the different First Nations communities around. Like, just I'd love to hear a bit, yeah, what you're dreaming, learning. Um, yeah, just give us more of a window in. Yeah, I think uh, I think for my own posture as a pastor, um, it's like a, another story that I'm not going to get into. But I, I grew up um, totally denying my indigenous culture. Like we, Mm. we moved away from where my dad grew up. Um, 
uh, because my dad wanted to um, just provide us with a different life. And that's a whole other story. Yeah. And that's his story to tell. Um, so we we grew up thinking, you know, in the suburbs, in, in, you know, a typical white suburban middle-class upbringing. Um, as I've gotten older, I realized in my family, there were definitely cultural characteristics that I just took for granted that I didn't realize were there, but, uh, but I didn't see it at the time. Uh, and I have sensed, even when I first started doing my teacher education, so my teacher education, I did in Kamloops, um, in BC, where the mass grave, the 215 were discovered, uh, a little less than a year ago. Um, but when I was studying, we did a tour of the residential school from some elders. Wow. Um, and it was at that moment where, uh, I really sensed, well, I, my heart broke actually. I felt like yeah. God gave me a picture of his broken heart or he gave me a piece of his broken heart, I suppose, back when I was studying. So I felt like my calling as a teacher, um, this recon indigenous reconciliation piece was part of my calling as a teacher. So when we lived in Vancouver, I would try to seek out schools that had higher indigenous populations uh, to teach at. But I did it from a distance, not wanting to identify myself with the culture or feeling like an outsider or something. So this weird identity piece that's going on. And then as I step into ministry, um, I'm trying to like keep that part of my identity on the down low. Um, there's this weird thing that happens where um, people are like, oh, you're Indigenous and you're a pastor. You should get into Indigenous ministries. Hmm. Um, or you're a woman and you're a pastor. You should be a women's pastor. <laughs> and so, so there was a little bit of pigeonholing that was happening, but I felt yeah. like God was calling me to, to, to be the pastor for everybody. Yeah. Uh, so, so there's this piece part of me that was trying to hide from it. And then God is like, no, I'm going to bring you to Thunder Bay. And this is actually going to become a key part of your mm. ministry. So there's been this like identity reckoning that's been happening for me. Mm. So as I come here, I recognize that I'm still learning about my own cultural heritage, but I'm also a guest on the land here. Yeah. Um, my own my, my people in Vancouver Island are are different culturally than um, the Anishinaabek who are here. Um, so I'm a guest in their land, and I need to take the posture of a learner mm. um, and and be invited in. Uh, I can't just assume that because I'm the pastor or even because I'm Indigenous that I have an open invitation to minister in somebody's life. Um. So that's been a learning curve for me. Um, it's been actually like a, in some ways, maybe a safety blanket because it allows me to slowly test the waters. I think the thing that I always remember is I remember at one point uh, in Vancouver and meeting some people who said, oh, your family is from Alert Bay. Um, we have been doing mission trips to Alert Bay every summer. And my first reaction was protection hmm. like wanting to protect my relatives <laughs> when the people who told me this are great people i love them yeah. and actually they're doing amazing kingdom work 
mm-hmm. but there was a bit of a disconnect, like a dissonance happening for me. Yeah. Um, and so I recognize that for me to be here and to say, I feel called and our church feels called to engage in indigenous reconciliation. What I felt is what people here probably feel. Wow. Wow. That's a really cool insight. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. So, so we're, what we are doing as a church is uh, it became pretty clear within a couple of months of working with the staff and the board that we as a church actually needed to enter into a season of repentance. And of course, me coming here is all coinciding with Black Lives Matter and um, the discovery of the graves at the residential schools. So so culture is doing like a like a re-exam, re-examining our history and uh, uh, Caucasian culture is examining our own privilege and whatnot. And I say our own because I'm straddling both <laughs> cultures. And so um, the God's timing of us coming here was uh, uh, just again, just God's providence, his, his timing. Mm. The church was ready. Um, and, uh, so we've just spent a year really in this intensive repentance process where Mm. we've been preaching on repentance. We've been leading prayer times in repentance. We've been, we've been, we have a weekly prayer group, uh, where board staff and, and some of the ministry volunteer leaders, we come together, we pray Every week, Jay leads us in the spiritual director way through silence, listening to God. Uh, what are we? What do we need to repent of? And what? Re- well, a lot of what has come through is um, of our own privilege, of our misunderstandings, uh, of the ways that we have used and abused power. Uh, and I don't think this is a particularly just a redwood thing. I actually mm. think this is probably a Canada-wide church thing, maybe a North America-wide church thing when it comes to racial reconciliation. Um, And uh, God has led us to work on reconciliation within our church. Mm. So repairing relationships within the church. How can we be reconcilers in the community if we ourselves are not fully reconciled to one another? Right. So we have some amazing stories and this is all God's doing and of, of people reconciling with old friends um, family members being reconciled, um, people having the courage to have hard conversations that they should have had years ago. Uh, as a staff team, we're going through a course on redemptive conflict resolution. Hmm. Um, we're going to start doing the same course as a board soon. So we're really, we're learning how we get along with each other, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so that we can be reconcilers in the world. Hmm. Is there a two part to that? Like I've been thinking about, you know, Jesus says, you know, or the New Testament says that we have this like ministry of reconciliation, Mm -hmm. you know, and and that's reconciliation with the Lord that leads to reconciliation, right? Relatedness. And and then when I think about what you're describing and, and please correct me if I'm mishearing it, but there's a sense by which, and I've just been processing like what it could look like on a national level or a Vancouver level to see reconciliation. I was thinking like, there's a sense by which the, I'd love to hear your, you correct me or f- nuance what I'm saying, that w- part of the ministry is that we might be a reconciled people ourselves, mm-hmm. that we might be a witness, yeah, you know, 
and 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 that might have like this inbreaking into the community around us where there's reconciliation that goes beyond but in the midst of a very divided like a world that might not have the resources for reconciliation um and by resources i mean the spirit of god and, yeah. and the work of jesus and so i just been thinking about this idea of like br- agents of reconciliation but also a people reconciling as a prophetic witness i just love to hear what yeah. yeah, does that make any sense? <laughs> you're totally you're you're capturing you're capturing what what I'm trying to capture or what what we're trying to do and what I sense God leading us into. Um it, it makes me think of uh like John 17 Jesus high priestly prayer that, that we would be one as he is one <laughs> or that they would know us by our love for one another. Mm-hmm. Um and and so I think it it goes to how like we can get really nasty with each other in the church right mm-hmm. like like the churches aren't a great witness in the world for loving one another within churches or church to church or yeah. denomination to denomination yeah. protestants catholic you know like it's it the church has been fractured and fractured and fractured and fractured um i i believe that we have a special calling to not only be a reconciled community in unity, Mm -hmm. um, but to step in the world as reconcilers, reconciling people Mm -hmm. to God, but also to one another and to the earth Mm -hmm. um, and to ourselves. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, It's that fourfold relational brokenness in the fall that we're called to participate in the reconciliation of all things. Um, that fourfold, um, I don't know, you know, who initiated that, but I, I read, read Daryl Johnson's book on Genesis and it just talking about how there's like re- harmony with self, harmony with one another, harmony with God and harmony with the earth. Yeah. And then like just how clear in the text when sin enters the world, you see uh, disharmony, yes. fracture with yeah. all four of those things and that the work of Jesus and his spirit would be. And the kingdom that's in breaking is that that fourfold harmony. And that's just really gripped my imagination. I think that um, someone who grew up in the evangelical tradition, we have our primary bend is towards harmony with God. That's not a bad thing because it probably starts, I say probably, yeah, right. it for sure yeah. starts there. But <laughs> yeah. that that like the picture in the garden is this mo- this more holistic harmony that flows yeah. from it. Yeah, it's it's a beautiful picture, uh, and we're invited to participate in hmm. the in ushering in the kingdom now, and the kingdom is that harmony in all those four realms. Hmm. Uh, so so participating in God's reconciliation work in the world, yeah, I think we get the reconciled to God piece, and maybe even reconciled to one another. But that reconcile to self through mm. um, mental health, uh, emotional health, mm-hmm. um, and reconcile to the earth um, through creation care and stewarding God's creation. Uh, I, I, for me, they're all together. You can't separate mm-hmm. them. Um, mm-hmm. And so that's actually part of what we've been doing here at Redwood as well, is exploring what does it look like to... Um, participate in all of those four areas of reconciliation. Hmm. Well, I'm so grateful for your time today and for you sharing your journey 
And um, I'm wondering, I'm going to put you on the spot a little bit, but <laughs> I'm wondering if you'd be comfortable and you can say no, and we could just delete this part anyways, if, if not. But uh, I would love if we could join you as you pray for Thunder Bay and the surrounding mm -hmm. area. And um, you pray probably for it a lot. We'd love just to join our hearts. I'd love to join my heart and just say an amen as you pray for you know, the things that you're praying for. Mm -hmm. for your area is that are you up for that yeah please cool. and and yeah. uh all the prayer we can get I, yeah. I have to say i i did talk about it thunder bay being a hard place to live for indigenous people but we have seen jay and i have seen god moving more powerfully in the last year than we ever have hmm. uh, we've been married for oh 21 years so we've been in ministry uh, together in one form or another for 21 years. Um, we've seen God move more powerfully in the last year than we have in the last two decades. It's, it's wow. quite profound. God is doing something. We don't know what yet. We don't know what it's going to look like, but it's very exciting. <laughs> oh, I love it. And yeah. we'd love, we'd love to join as you pray. And so maybe we'll end there. Yeah. Maybe just, yeah. just take as long as you want. Uh, to pray and I'll join my heart. And for all the listeners, just invite you in right now. Would we just uh, pray for Melissa, for Redwoods, the churches in that area? And um, yeah, we'll join you. Yeah. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, we thank you for the way that you have been working in Thunder Bay. And... Mm -hmm. Northwestern Ontario, uh, before, before we even knew about Thunder Bay, the way that you were here um, before European settlers came. <laughs> we thank you for um, the ways that you are working in the hearts of people now mm -hmm. and um, for all of the things that you've been up to. And uh, we lift up this region of Canada to you, God. Um, not only would you continue the work that you're doing, but would you show us how we can participate with what you're doing? Mm -hmm. um, show us your vision for this place. Uh, show us what it looks like when the kingdom breaks through. Yeah. Uh, we pray for um, unity in the churches here at Redwood and every church <laughs> that yes, is Lord. represented in this region, Lord. We pray for a unity within the churches and unity between the churches. Uh, we pray for the new ministries that are springing up in our midst. Uh, we lift up the ministries and organizations that are already working in the northern communities, God, um, that you would strengthen them, that they would be your presence, um, and that they would um, be your agents of reconciliation. They're already there, God. So we mm -hmm. just pray that you would strengthen them. Yeah. Um, and Lord, um, show us what it is to be your agents of reconciliation. Yeah. Uh, we pray that if there is more repentance that needs to happen in this region, that you would show us and you would give us the courage to repent. Um, and as we turn away from those things, and as we turn towards you, Jesus, that you would um, give us the courage to do what's next, whatever that next is. <laughs> Uh, we pray ultimately, Lord, that your kingdom would break through here yeah. 
We pray that instead of being the murder capital of Canada for Indigenous people, this would be the life capital. Yeah. Yes, uh, that you would change the story. Yeah. That this place would have the reputation of being one of the best places in Canada to live. And when mm-hmm. people start wondering what's going on here, they would trace it back to the work that you have been doing and your faithful people who are following you. Yeah. And so, God, we lift this place up to you and we pray that your will would be done here and your kingdom would come on earth as it is in heaven. Um, and we thank you in advance for what you are going to do in the future. We pray these things in Jesus' powerful, mighty name. Amen. 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 Love that, that we might gather around Thunder Bay and Melissa and her church and the other churches and ministries in that region to pray. And so grateful for Melissa's time to share her story with us and get really excited about this new rhythm of prayer that we participate in together because the heart of this podcast is not just to have ministry conversations, but really is to build a community across the country of pastors representing different traditions and expressions who are for one another. And prayer is one of the practical ways we can really serve one another. Next time on the podcast, we have Pete Cesaro. Pete is the founding pastor of New Life Church in New York City, and he's probably most well known for his books in the Emotionally Healthy Spirituality series. My life was radically impacted going through the Emotionally Healthy Leader with a group of pastors and friends. And this conversation, the themes that he brings up around emotionally healthy discipleship, are so significant and important for our time. He's got a new book that's out, Emotionally Healthy Discipleship. We talk about that and many of the themes that emerge from it in our next conversation. So that's coming up in a few weeks. Between now and then, hope you are doing well. Keep well. Tons of love from the CCLN team. If you want to connect, you can find us online, ccln.ca. would love to hear from you. See you later.